Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful in Edmonton and around the world. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy and Kurt Levins. Hey, Kurt. Hey, Bruce. Fellas. That was Kurt. That was Kurt. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, how what can I do here? I, I didn't think that it was Kurt, but it was Kurt Bruce. We are joined here tonight to contemplate the, you know, the the what every Canadian is thinking about, the coming games between the Vancouver Canucks and the Calgary Flames. <laughs> Bruce, I bet you you can't wait to dig into that game tonight. There's one playing on my TV in the background. The Tampa Bay game just ended, and I didn't change the channel before I came in here. I'm guessing my wife will. <laughs> Yes, she will. Actually, we're here to talk about the Jets and the Oilers. And let me just see if we've gone live. Uh, and no one will know that we're on. I don't know if people get how people. Sometimes people uh, join in the chat. And I don't know how they do that. But uh, let me just see if anyone's here yet. Anyway, we're going to be talking about the Winnipeg Jets and Edmonton Oilers playoff series, which is upcoming um, I'll just quickly, what we're going to do is, uh, for, to provide some structure, we'll go through the line combinations of both teams and we'll just have a little discussion about, uh, what we think of, uh, how they're stacking up right now. Um, just to start off though, I'll just quickly go through some of the, the statistics that we saw in the nine games that they played this season. They were pretty close teams in the standings in the end. But uh, in the nine games that they played, Edmonton won seven and lost two. On average, they scored 3.8 goals per game to the Jets, 2.4 goals per game. When it came to grade A chances, the Oilers had 11.9 grade A chances per game to just nine for the Jets. So the, the actual score was a little bit more exaggerated than the grade-A chances, but the Oilers also had a significant edge when it came to grade-A chances between the two teams in the nine games that they played. Edmonton, in the end, was pretty dominant, dominant over the Jets. The Oilers' power play finished first. The Jets' power play finished seventh, so they were both pretty good power plays. Edmonton's penalty kill finished on a real hot streak and finished ninth in the NHL and the Jets finished 14th overall in the NHL, so they were not bad either. There's not much separating them on special teams, but again, Edmonton has the edge overall uh, this year in those two categories. The Jets ended up, um, they were on a losing streak for a while, but the I was listening to some Jets podcasts, um, and they won three of their last five games, and they're feeling a little bit better about themselves, although they're not, not completely good. Any general thoughts? Just, uh, you know, it looks like to me like the Oilers have the edge going in, but it but it's probably not as great an edge as we saw in the regular season. Like these team, teams are probably fairly close. Um, they, you know, their overall record of the season is probably more indicative of how close the season, this series is going to be than, than what we saw in those nine games where the Oilers really dominated. Your thoughts? Go ahead, Kurt. Uh, well, I've I've picked the Oilers in six, uh, and when I broke the two teams down, I took a look at seven key areas: special teams, defense, goaltending, uh, depth, toughness, health, and the best players. Uh, and I gave Edmonton the edge 
in five of those seven categories. Uh, and so I, I, I think that the season series, while I have a lot of respect for the Jets, I think the season series could be indicative of what we will see in the playoffs. And there's two key areas that I see as being uh, uh, probably ones that the series will turn on. One will be the relative health of the two teams, where Edmonton certainly has the edge, and the blue line, uh, where I think the Oilers have the better blue line uh, and in a number of areas, and I just don't think the Jets' blue line has the horses to stop McDavid and Drysaddle, and that's why I ended up picking Edmonton in six. Kurt, just real quick, what, what were the two areas where you had Winnipeg ahead of the Oilers? I gave them a very slight edge in goaltending. Even though Mike Smith had a better year, I'm yeah. giving Connor, Connor Hellebuck the benefit of the doubt being the defending Vesna Trophy winner. He's an excellent goaltender, and he does have the ability to steal a couple of games in this series. The other right. area where I gave Winnipeg the edge was forward depth. Uh, I think down the middle and generally over four lines, I do think Winnipeg has, has better depth. So those are the two areas where I think they probably have a legitimate edge on Edmonton, although I don't think huge in the goaltending side, uh, a little bit more perhaps on the forward depth end of things. Bruce, your thoughts, general thoughts, uh, as we start out uh, this well, the real, real key thing is the health of, uh, of Winnipeg's uh, uh, group. They have some pretty significant players that are either wearing non-contact jerseys or weren't at practice at all. Uh, foremost among them, Nick Ehlers, uh, fantastic to my mind, uh, uh, two-way uh, forward. And, I mean, Mike fans of Mark Shifley would argue, but uh, to me, he's just about Winnipeg's best all-around forward. I thought he had the better year anyway. And uh, he missed the last few weeks, and Winnipeg really went deep in the tank when he was out. And they did recover. They won their last two games, I think, uh, 5 nothing, uh, uh over Vancouver to clinch third place, and then they beat Toronto in the very last tune-up game. And it looked like they might be coming out of it a little bit, but they they had a couple more guys banged up. Paul Stasny, that I think missed uh, practice today. It was in Murat's tweet, David. That was in your post. Which which yeah. guys were uh, uh, were either in non-contact jerseys or not out there at all? And there were some pretty significant players. Yeah, there was uh, Stasny and Dubois, Dubois weren't on the ice. They got they got injured against in their last game of the year, Bruce. Like oh. we were talking about this, Tippett said the main thing he got out of Edmonton's last game was nobody got hurt. Well, yeah. that didn't happen in Winnipeg. Dubois yeah. and uh, Stasny got banged up, and they they weren't on the ice today. And of, and Ehlers and Cop uh, were um, skating, but not no contact. And I agree, with Bruce. Uh, there's lots of really good players in the Canadian division. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that I saw a forward, an opposing forward. I'll go with two opposing forwards that absolutely scared the hell out of me whenever they had the puck. Mitch Marner in Toronto mm-hmm. and Nikolai Ehlers in Winnipeg. Similar uh, fast, smaller players. But Shifty, eh? Ehlers has been an Oilers kill. I don't know if he, what his stats are against the Oilers, but he is, he's just such a fine hockey player. And, and I, he's doubtful. Um, f- from listening to the podcast, they think he'll be, maybe he'll be back, but he's iffy. They don't know if he's going to be back for the first game. So there you have it. He's not like Nikita Kucherov miraculously recovered from his life-threatening injury. <laughs> Kucherov scored twice today. Hey, the layoff didn't seem that. to leave too much rust on the old wheels. I saw that. Yeah. 
Well, already let's sour about how Tampa game the system, but that's a subject for another podcast. Yeah. I always give credit. If you're not cheating, you're not trying, Bruce. That's what Glenn Saylor no, used well, to say. Well, they're trying pretty hard. That's all I'll say to that. <laughs> well, more power to them. Uh, this is just, it's, you know, it's not a lot riding on it except who wins and loses, and uh, they, mm-hmm. they're doing what they can. All right, Bruce, I'm, let's I, uh, go ahead. I'm just saying, I'm, I'm just warming up for the Stanley Cup finals when it comes down to Edmonton against Tampa Bay. I'm, I want to <laughs> have a good mad on worked up in advance. <laughs> Alrighty, let's start going through the lineup, and we'll 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 start with uh, the Oilers lineup, and we'll just start because I think it's it's we're going to talk about the top two lines on the Oilers both at once. So what we see mm-hmm. right now heading into this this uh, this uh, shindig is the the top line projected uh, lines, as Bob Stoffer of the Oilers put it, for the Winnipeg series: Cahoon, Connor McDavid, and yes on the top line and on the second line the dynamite line of ryan nugent hopkins leon dreisaitl and kyler yamamoto now it's interesting the oilers most effective line this uh year quite easily was leon dreisaitl kyler yamamoto and connor mcdavid they played together 146 even strength minutes and they scored 13 goals and just gave up three they had an 81% goals for percentage, which is out of this world good. Yet, for the first game of this playoff series, that line is broken up, and I have to say that I entirely approve of that. But before I drone on about uh, my thoughts, which Cult of Hockey listeners know quite well by now, let's get your thoughts. Uh, Bruce, we'll start with you. What do you think of these top two lines that they're going in with? I think they're as close to balanced as, as they can expect, and I, I'm really not surprised. I mean, uh, Tippett is pretty consistent at going with what he's going to do, right? In, in, in practice, like he starts training camp with his idea of how the lines are going to be, and he doesn't change a whole lot by the time the season starts. And then there, you know, there may be a time where they have a couple days off and they have a couple practices, and he reorganizes the lines. But once he does that, he goes with those lines for a while. And we've seen... Uh, uh, Cahoon now finally, and I know David, you were calling for it much of the year for Cahoon to get a shot with uh, McDavid, and we've finally seen that in the last what ten games or so. Yeah. And with Pulyarvi, and there they are still together, and at the same time, more you and others have called for the reunion of the Dynamite line, and there they are together, though they don't seem to be clicking at the level that they were last year when all three guys were red hot this year. Leon is playing great. And uh, uh, both Nuge and Yammer are uh, are struggling to uh, to put the puck in the net, especially at even strength. And and they're squeezing the sticks, I think, a little bit tight. And the line just hasn't been going on all cylinders. And I keep hoping it's going to be one of those things where something happens, a, you know, a particular moment in a game or a particular game where where they connect for a big goal, and all of a sudden, you know, they they start to feel it and. Because we saw last year when they are feeling it, how terrific a line that that threesome can be. Let's. I'll just quickly, Kurt. Before I get you, I'll just quickly give the stats for the uh, last year. The Dynamite line, of course, played together more than 300 minutes and scored 30 even strength goals for and gave up just nine against, which was out of this world good as well. Just unbelievable performance. This year, uh, that line has been together for just 112 minutes, and I, and I would note they were they were put together 
when both Yamamoto and Nugent Hopkins were having injury problems. Anyway, 112 minutes this year, four goals for, six goals against, so a 40% goals for percentage. And the other line, Cahoon, JP, Yassi Pulley, and McDavid, together just 68 minutes, five goals for, four against, 55% goals for percentage. I'm, I'm saying you know, to win in the playoffs, the Oilers need, from those top two lines, they need at the very minimum 55% goals for probably 60% goals for percentage and even strength from those top two lines will be a sure signal the Oilers are, are winning. Kurt, what's your take of the, on these lines? Well, quickly bouncing off one of the things that Bruce said, I think one of the main reasons why that threesome hasn't quite clicked yet is the health of Kyler Yamamoto. I think we all thought maybe he was a little snake bit. Uh, well, I think he's also a little a little nicked up. And those two things together, uh, I think, have caused an issue. So maybe these couple of days off uh, will help him. Um, what I see in these two lines is it's a very subtle change for Dave Tippett to all of a sudden give the Jets a different look with his top six. Because you can take Cahoon McDavid, Nugent Hopkins, and, and Leon Dreisaitl and give them just... Uh, a one a one counterclockwise rotation over, and all of a sudden, you have two very different not lines. You move Nuge over in the center, you move Leon up, and then you got mm. Connor, Leon, Pugliarvi, and you got Nugent, Hopkins, Cahoon, and Yamamoto. Just like that, it's it's like plug and play, and I think that can be a real uh, advantageous um, point that Dave Tippett can go to and and pull out the whip, if you will, at any point in a game. Uh, if he feels he needs to to snag momentum back or, you know, uh, it's a 2-1 game and he thinks, you know, if we can get another goal here, it's it's done, it's over. So that's what I like about the construction of those top two lines is I agree with you. I think this is the best balanced top six the team can probably have. But at the snap of the fingers, all of a sudden you can have two lines that look very different and can cause Winnipeg de- defenders two very different sets of problems. And so I think from that standpoint, this top six uh, has a chance to be very effective against Winnipeg. Yeah, we uh, the Cahoon-Yamamoto R&H line was together just a, for a, a small amount of time this year, 58 minutes, and they didn't do very well. One goal for three against. But uh, And I'm not a big believer in, in that particular line. But I think that the other thing they could do is put Cassian or McLeod into the mix on the second line too, Kurt. And, um, you well, know, I think, I think and, Zach Cassian is, is a whole other conversation. I, yeah. <laughs> I agree with that, but he has to be, he has to be healthy before we can insert him in. Right. So, yeah. Kurt, you've historically liked, I think, if I'm not mistaken, Dreisaitl and McDavid together. Uh, what, yep. so what do you, you, but you're okay with this. Like, so why do you like them together? What, what's your thinking on that generally? I like, I like them together because I don't think anybody can stop them. Uh, I, I, th- I don't think anybody in the league generally can stop them. And you can put your best foot forward and just step on the gas. Uh, those two, they're special players, but one plus one equals three when they're playing together. So that's why I like them. I'm okay with this lineup, though, because it's really easy for Dave, for one shifter, for three shifts, to go back to them, mm-hmm. then swip, sw- switch right back to this top six again. I think yeah. it gives them mid-game flexibility, and I think that's a good thing for a veteran head coach like Dave to have. I'll harken back to one game against the Jets early in the season. Uh, one of the one of the signature games of the entire season, where Edmonton led Winnipeg 2-1, uh, well into the third period, and then Winnipeg tied it, and they went ahead with about five minutes left, and it looked like they were going to steal the two points. And that was a game where uh, 
uh, McDave and Drysaddle are on separate lines. And after Winnipeg tied it, uh, Tippett did the did the shuffle, and he had uh, Drysaddle, McDavid, and Yamamoto, the 81% line that David mentioned earlier. And when you know, they came right out and they tied it up. Two great passes, Drysaddle to McDavid to Yamamoto, and he stuffed it in from the edge of the crease. And then uh, McDavid and Drysaddle with Pugliarvi were on at the very end of the game when Leon scored literally with one second to play in the third period to give Edmonton the win in regulation. And that was a case, again, a case where Tippett was able to to uh, put in his power line together and basically overpower Winnipeg uh, with the game in the line uh, down the stretch. Overall, though, I like the idea of, of them playing center because, as David pointed out in his post, uh, Winnipeg is very deep at the center position, yep. and if you put all Edmonton's best centers on one line, then then you got you know you got to deal with all these other guys. You know Dubois, Stasny. You know, assuming they're healthy, uh, you know they 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 can really come Lowry. You know they can, they can really come four deep at you. So I think it's uh, it's probably in Tippett's best interest to uh, to go uh, uh, put his big guys both that center. Yeah, yeah, off the top when I mentioned forward depth, this is what I'm talking about. I think this is the one card that Paul Maurice has where he may mm -hmm. have an advantage over Edmonton, which is why, it is, David was very smart to point out in his piece, uh, that keeping Connor and Leon down the middle probably is a pretty good tactic because it's one area where Winnipeg probably does have a bit of an edge in terms of depth. They have Mark Shifley, heck of a player, obviously. He could be on Team Canada, right, at the Olympics. Adam Lowry, just a fantastic third-line center. Paul Stastny, who's still a NHL player. Pierre-Luc Dubois has played a lot on the wing, but he also plays center. Nate Thompson is a good grinder center, and Andrew Kopp. So they just have all these players they can try themselves at center. Very strong there, and I just, I just, I'm, you know, whatever works. If it's the 81% solution line, if that's working, the only reason I never liked Drysaddle and McDavid in the past was it didn't work last year. They they didn't they weren't outscoring enough. They they just weren't getting it done. Just like Nuge Pulleyarvi and McDavid this year. Hey, good in theory, but if you're not getting it done, I'm not in favor of it. But so if if the Yamamoto McDavid and Drysaddle line they're going to go to that a lot and it works, like do it. I'm just worried what happens against Winnipeg if you take away Drysaddle at center. I just I just really think you're going to need that big guy at center to beat both Winnipeg and to beat Toronto, who also has mm -hmm. strong centers. So uh, Tippett, uh, Mark Spector was, you know, he said that he, he had talked to Tippett about the whole thing. And Tippett says the reason he switches around so much is, it's just like you say, Kurt, at the, at the drop of a hat, he wants to be ready. He wants to go boom and have that other, other look. All of a sudden, there's this mm -hmm. other tactical look for the team that they got to deal with. And the, you're going to throw the 81% line out there, and and change change up everything. Suddenly, you're facing a whole different beast. And you know what, Nugent Hopkins <clears throat> is pretty key in that whole plan, because if you don't have the Nuge that you can slide into that that two center position, if you go with Connor and Leon on the same line, all of a sudden the next two centers up are a raw rookie and Jujar Kara. So the, the Nuge is a pretty important cog in that whole plan. It, I don't think it would work nearly as well in theory without him. I'm not sure it works with him, Kurt, is my, my issue. I'm not a big believer of, no. as, of Ryan Nugent Hopkins at center anymore. I think he's a good winger, like a, a good NHL winger. 
I'm not a believer in him as, as an NHL center. Well, but if you stack him, but if you say, well, who am I going to line up against the Winnipeg Jets at center to give yourself the best chance of winning? And your choices are Ryan Nugent Hopkins, uh, Jujar Kara, and Ryan McLeod. I'm going to pick Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Um, so. All right, let's look at the, let's look at the bottom two lines now. We have uh, uh, Devin Jujar Kara centering Josh Archibald, who's just had a whale of a season, and Devin Shore. And on the fourth line, uh, we have James Neal, uh, Alex Chason, and Ryan McLeod. Kurt, what do you make of those two lines? I'm okay with those. I think as soon as Zach Cassian is healthy, he's probably going to go in. My guess would be he would go in uh, on the right-hand side and Archibald would move over and place a shore. Um, but until such time that Cassian is 100% healthy, I think you've got uh, a strong defensive energy line in the, in the Caroline, which I think you can probably put out there in, in any defensive situation and feel confident in them. And I think you've got a third slash fourth line with two grizzled veterans with lots of playoff experience in Chase on a Neal, paired up with with a with a really good sized lightning fast skilled young center, uh, which I think can give you a depth goal here and there in the playoffs. And I don't think they'll get pushed around. Uh, and while Winnipeg I think is a very skilled team, I don't think they're a particularly tough team. And I think that uh, I think that bottom six. Uh, will give Winnipeg all they can handle in terms of grit on the ice. So I, I don't, I don't mind them at all. And as I say, the only person who I really see uh, ending up in that mix on a regular basis is Cassian, because otherwise, I think the, I think the top twelve forwards that uh, Dave had at practice the other day is probably the twelve he's going to go to the dance with. So I made this point after a recent game uh, that the bottom six, the way that. Tippett has them lined up here, which was the same as he used in this game. I think it was one of the ones in Montreal, David, where we talked about how all all six guys on the bottom six had a role on the special teams. That the whole third line of Kara, Archibald, and Shore, uh, plus <clears throat> McLeod, were on the penalty kill units. And uh, uh, Neil and Chason were spelling each other off uh, as a net front guy on the power play. And it's I bet you'd have to look long and hard to find a team where everybody on the bottom six has is uh potentially in the mix on on uh, special teams that's and if zach cassian comes back well he doesn't have a role on either special team so they're going to have to figure out in advance if they're going to take devon shore out well who are they going to replace him with on the penalty kill because it won't be zach cassian you know will it be dry sidle will it be you know extra minutes for the other guys because you know Nuge also contributes to that unit he plays with Kara has for two years now but they you know they've got uh, uh, they really use uh, much of their lineup gets uh, I guess chances on both um, on one or the other special teams uh, Nuge on both and really only the young right wingers um, uh, Yamamoto and Pugliarvi that don't have a real serious role on uh, uh, well, not at all on the penalty kill, or little on the penalty kill, I guess Yamamoto does. And uh, yep. on the power play, a little bit in the second unit, but Edmonton's second unit is really not a factor. See, I think I think that Yamamoto spot is another place where Cassian could end up. To be clear, I think if Yamamoto's healthy, you put him in, because I think he's mm-hmm. one of your six best forwards. But if he's not, it would be pretty plausible to plunk Zach Cassian in there 
that second line right wing, and that gives that line another another look again, right? Again, I think you play Yamamoto if you have him, but if you don't, Zach Cassian is an is an excellent veteran depth option that you could put up there. Yeah, I like. Uh, I just want to say, if anyone's watching this live right now, I can't for some reason I can't figure out how to see your comments. Again, we're just learning this new system. So if we're not responding to your questions, if you're posing them, my, my apologies, because I can't see them right now. I have tweeted out a link for this, guys. It's on uh, Twitter. Uh, so people maybe are joining in. I'm not exactly sure. Uh, we do have, yeah, we do have some people watching it. But for some reason, it's not just not showing up. I think Gaetan Haas could get in. Um, if I think Jujar Kara has been uh, strong. Uh, or he's been okay since he came back, but he hasn't been as good as before when he before he got hurt the last time. He's 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 just not as sharp and physical, and perhaps not surprising, but maybe maybe that's going to change. Uh, and Haas can also kill penalties, so that's the one other player that I I think there's a chance we're going to see. I don't think we'll see unless there's injuries. I don't think we'll see. Any other guys? I, I think I, I like Josh Archibald as a bet to be like the X factor in this series. Uh, he he's just been getting better and better and better this season as it's gone along, uh, bursting into plays, uh, going to the net, and looking like when he goes to the net, like not like a guy who thinks there's no way I'm going to score on this shot, but like a guy who's just finally determined to score and has made up his mind he's going to get there and he's going to put it in the net. And I think that's a huge moment for any player in the NHL when they get when they get that kind of confidence. And I'm starting to see that with him right now. I also love I love the fourth line. Uh, I just think those two big veterans uh, are going to cause some havoc, just like they did last year in the playoffs. They're both very sound and underrated defensive hockey players who play their positions well and smartly get the puck out when it comes up to them on the boards, cover the defensemen, don't allow point shots. Um, all the good things that you want, back check hard, and they can forecheck, and they can, they'll, they'll provide a physical presence. They needed, this line though I think is actually quite a bit better with McLeod as opposed to Haas. McLeod is every bit as fast as Gaetan Haas, and he's just, he's just more skilled and he's bigger. And so far at least, and this is where I've been surprised, count me as a, as a doubter of Ryan McLeod's defensive ability so far, Heading into this uh, foray with the Oilers, I didn't think he could get it done as a center. I thought he'd be best served being on the wing, and he has done it. He's looked good. There's only been only one play where he looked, where he let a real nasty shot uh, occur where he didn't cover the guy in the slot. So he's getting it done. Doing and it. you know, McLeod, a small sample has been above 50% in the faceoff circle, and Gaetan Haas, considerably bigger sample, has been well below 50%. So I think that's probably a key reason why Dave wants him in there, too. Let's move on to the defense pairing. I'm able to see the comments, by the way, Dave, and we've got uh, Diego Barros uh, saying hi from Brazil. Cool. That's, that's a highlight comment that's standing out so far, and I'll. Uh, I'll uh, uh, you you clicked no. on the Twitter link, hey Bruce? Yeah, I did. Okay. Well, if Bruce, why don't you be the comment guy today? Okay. I'm going to delegate that to you. If sure. You, and uh, and if you see anything good, just uh, if they have questions or anything like this, chime in now and then if you want. Feel free. Let's move on to the defense. And um, what we see here is is absolutely zero surprise. I'm guessing. Uh, Nurse Barry, Kulikov, Larson. And 
Jones and Bear. You know, I, part of me just had a thought. Ethan Bear had a really rough start to the season. He wasn't mm-hmm. playing well at all. Right now, though, Ethan Bear is playing great hockey. He is, he is really moving the puck, defending well, positional play. And I had a thought, like, I wouldn't be surprised. Two things for, to happen on this defense as it goes along. First of all, if Jones struggles at all, Slater Cuckoo uh, goes in. Or if Chris Russell ever gets healthy, he goes in. Um, if, if Jones struggles. If he, if he kills it, he can hold on to this spot. But I wouldn't be surprised to see Ethan Bear move up and play with Darnell Nurse on the top pairing if Tyson Berry has any struggles on defense. So I guess the good news is there's, there's a number of reasonable options here. This is a solid top six defenseman with a great number one D-man in Darnell Nurse. And Kurt, you called it. He isn't, I, I, I will, you had it right, I had it wrong. He is a Nor- Norris Trophy candidate for sure. And um, so the good news is again, they have options. They got things they can go to, and I th- I wouldn't be surprised to, for Tippett to use some of those options. Go ahead, uh, Bruce. Yeah, well, he's the Norse of the North. His nurse, <laughs> he he won't win it, but uh, in the Canadian division, North division, uh, he is um, the best defenseman on many people's lists, and really, Jeff Petrie's the only guy that's been in the discussions that I've seen in terms of who's the best defenseman in Canada and uh, the ones we watch at the NHL.com they're posting their weekly award winners by division and Darnell the last time I looked he was unanimous got all five votes I think you wrote a post about it at that time David about how he was emerging so I think there's enough top defensemen in American teams that Darnell probably won't even finish top three, but he will get votes. I'm absolutely convinced of that and finish, you know, somewhere in the in the running. And he's, he's made huge step forward this year. You know what? He played all 56 games this year, which is no surprise because he's done it four years in a row now, hasn't missed a game. But his lowest ice time of the season was 20 minutes and 53 seconds. <laughs> he never played one game where he didn't play 20 minutes in the entire season. What a horse. Great hockey player. What do you think of the uh, defense formations, Kurt? I think that the Oilers have a a, a significant edge over Winnipeg here. Yeah. Uh, they have the best overall defenseman in Darnell Nurse. They have the best shutdown pension uh, defenseman off either roster in Adam Larson. They have the most dangerous attacker off of either defense core in Tyson Berry. And they have superior depth to Winnipeg because if you take a look at the guys that probably won't be playing game one, Chris Russell, Slater Cuckoo, Evan Bouchard, and William Laguson, probably any of those four, I I won't say probably any of those four would be on Winnipeg's bottom pairing. So I think Edmonton actually has a fairly substantial edge on defense. And I just don't think that the Morrissey-DeMello pairing is has has the gusto to stop Edmonton's big guns. Pionk is the guy that uh, has driven me crazy now and then because he's a he's a nasty physical player. I really respect his game actually. Um, he he just plays hard, and he can really move the puck. He's a very good player, but he mm-hmm. like in all those categories you just listed: offense, defense, all around. Pionk's probably their best guy in every single one of those categories where the Oilers kind of spread the wealth. So they're really counting on on him to get a lot done and he can't be out there against both McDavid and Drysaddle when they're split up. 
So um, that's going to be a challenge for the Winnipeg Jets is, is, is dealing with those two lines. And, uh, and I feel the same way as you do about Pionk, but uh, in the last two games against Winnipeg, Paul Maurice has gone away from that matchup and Pionk yeah. hasn't faced the McDavid line. So it'll be interesting to see if that changes come game one of the playoff series to start starting Wednesday. I wonder if he's been hurt. Bruce, what are your, what's your, any final thoughts on the D? Yeah, well, they got, some, they got some bigger, slower guys in, in, uh, uh, Logan Stanley and Derek Forbord and, uh, uh, Tucker Pullman. Yeah. Like, I don't think any of those guys is, uh, is, uh, uh, going to enter the speed skating in the Olympics, you know, and, <laughs> and McDavid. You give McDavid a one-on-two, which you see a lot of over the game, McDavid coming in one-on-two, he's going to pick his side of who to go in on. And if there's a slow guy on one side, then he's, chances are he's, he's going to go in on that side and give Buddy a lot of grief, you know, on, on the way in. And, and Winnipeg, I mean, let's face it, they couldn't stop McDavid. He scored two points plus in every single game, nine out of nine games that McDavid scored two goals against uh, uh against uh, Winnipeg and in the last six of those games that Edmonton won every game uh, Edmonton scored 21 goals Winnipeg got seven so Edmonton was shutting them down on the defensive side and McDavid was scoring two or three or four points in each game well it's no wonder that Edmonton was winning all the games Winnipeg was scoring one goal and McDavid was getting two or three points I mean that's a winning formula so that's uh, that's what they hope to keep up and my question is, can the Edmonton defense continue to hold Winnipeg to such, uh, you know, a paltry outcome? And can Mike Smith, and I'm sure we're going to talk about that in a moment, continue to play the, the top-notch tending that's uh, been frustrating the Jets? last three of those games, all in Winnipeg, they scored two goals in three games. Right? They got outscored 12-2 to two on their home ice. So it's, Edmonton was just ramping up like more and more domination as the season went along. And, and I mean, Winnipeg comes out and wins one, game one. That changes everything. I but know. that's what they're going to have to do is uh, figure something out fast because Edmonton had their number. Even when the Oilers were a poor team, they would match up well against other teams that were kind of similar to them. Like the Oilers were a real finesse team without a lot of spine uh, in the decade of darkness. And they, so they would match up well against, like I remember Columbus. They always seem to play well against Columbus as an example. Yep. This year, the Oilers, they're kind of similar teams in a lot of ways, the Oilers and the Jets. But the Oilers match up well against this team, I think, because of that. They're just similar teams, but the Oilers have a little bit more going on uh, in, in many departments, as, as you enunciated earlier on, Kurt. So, which is also, this is all scary, of course, because, you know, like you say, Bruce, w w lose game one and all bets are off. It just suddenly seems horrorsville. But what I like, what I like to see here is the Oilers forecheck. I think that this defense on Winnipeg can be forechecked, get in there. And this is why I think Oilers have had su success in recent games is it's on the forecheck. It's getting in there fast and working that puck around, you know, get the virtuous cycle going and uh, you're going to score some goals against this Winnipeg defense. The Oilers, Winnipeg will try to do the exact same thing to the Oilers defense, of course, get in there, forecheck, and they can also dominate the puck in the offensive yeah. end. The Oilers defense, though, you know, they've got a couple big Bobby Clobbers in Larson and Kulikov who can break up that cycle. And then the other guys, Darnell Nurse, the same thing, and, but the other guys can move the puck very well. Yeah. They, can, they can pass that puck out of trouble, something the Oilers could never do in the past. 
So it's going to be interesting, you know, can, can Caleb Jones under pressure when they're, when he has big Blake Wheeler coming down on him, can he and bear work that puck out of the, the order zone? Can Kulikov do the same thing? Uh, you know, we know he can probably take the body and stop Blake Wheeler and, and Shifley and Ehlers, but can he move the puck rapidly and fast? And we've seen indications this year, this is a much better passing team. Also because they have centers like McDavid and Dreisaitl who they can pass it to as the outlet and those guys can carry it out. So, uh, you know, this is why I think we've seen the domination from the Oilers. They play a similar game. The Oilers have just executed better so far this year. Alrighty. Are we goaltending? We can talk about goaltending now, I guess. Kurt, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I kind of alluded to this off the top. Um, I'm giving Winnipeg a slight edge in goaltending. Uh, I am not willing to ignore uh, last year's spectacular season or the fact that Connor Hellebuck is a hell of a good NHL goaltender. Um, and I think any game, he could steal a game for Winnipeg. And I think that's something uh, that the Oilers are going to have to deal with. On the other hand, Mike Smith has been the better goaltender this season. Uh, and playoffs are all about momentum. And if I think Mike Smith can continue to ride this wave of veteran confidence that he's been riding for most of the season, I think the edge Winnipeg has is a narrow one. Um, and so that's kind of how I see goaltending. I also see both teams uh, sticking with their number one guy no matter what. Uh, I think either one of these teams are going to lose or win with their number one goaltender. And I don't think the other guys will even see the ice unless there's an injury. I'm seeing the comments now too, Bruce. From Daniel mm -hmm. Fika, we have Nuge is a winger. He can't play C. And from Diego Bar Barros, what do you think about McLeod on wing instead of centering the third line? Haas could uh, center and leave 71 on the wing. What do you guys think about that? I think with McLeod, he's been a center all his life. Uh, nothing like complicating a rookie's life in the Stanley Cup playoffs than having him play a position he's barely played before. I like, I like Dave's idea of, of keeping him in a position that he's familiar with and he knows how to play. No, they got, they got Go veteran wingers to support him. And I mean, yeah. Neil, I mean, he, he's a, he's a guy that could come out if, uh, uh, if he's not, playing well with you. I think he hasn't played pretty well lately and I expect him to step up in the playoffs. But even if he comes out, they also have, you know, options on the wing, other options like uh, Joachim Niegaard, who looked real good in yesterday's season finale, for instance. Uh, just looking at the net mining situation, I looked at Hellebuck's stats and, you know, I thought he had, he'd come down a long way from last year, but he didn't really drop all that far. Uh, he was 9.22 a season ago winning the Vezina Trophy. And this year he was 9.16, almost identical goals against average 2.58, very good in a three-goal uh, three league. Uh, 24, 17, and three uh, record, so uh, he, he got the job done. But his splits are just ridiculous. Like, here he is against the other teams, 9.34 against Calgary, 9.16 against Montreal, 9.11 against Ottawa, 9.20 against Toronto, 9.43 against Vancouver. Against Edmonton Oilers, 8.77 with a 3.96 goals against average. So either he figures it out or Winnipeg is in a mountain of trouble. 
because the Oilers have gotten to him this season. And maybe, you know, they were the right nights and the right games, playing at the right time when the wrong guys were hurt from Winnipeg's perspective. However it worked out, uh, Hellebuck did not look like a world-class Vezina Trophy goalie in games against the uh, Edmonton Oilers. It was almost like he was the second coming of Carey Price, David. <laughs> <laughs> that really scares me what you just said, Bruce, because all he's got to do is start playing like he plays against the other teams, and suddenly this is a completely different Winnipeg Jets yeah. uh, that, we, that we're seeing against the Oilers, right? So he's letting in some soft goals against the Oilers, obviously. You don't have a, a save percentage like that without letting in some soft goals. They're not all good ones, and he's not making enough saves on the grade A ones, too. All, he, just, he just buckles down and plays his normal game, and boom, this is suddenly scariesville. And I think, I think this is going to be a very difficult, very difficult uh, series. I mean, when, when I first saw the Jets this year against the Oilers, I thought, wow, this, this could be the best team um, that I'm seeing in the North Division this year. Of course, Montreal looked pretty good at the start, too, and, and then fell apart. Well, but, fair, uh, fair to say ahead. we haven't seen the best of Connor Hellebuck this season. And he played seven games against Edmonton. He's going to play up to seven more, and I'm very confident we're going to see a lot closer to the best of him than we did in the first seven. He is a All good goalie. All righty. Um, any final thoughts on uh, when we look at the Jets lines? Of course, they're, we don't know what they're going to have. They, they're going with their top line of Kyle Connor, Mark Scheifele, and Blake Wheeler, which is a hell of a hockey line. Like, that's just a stacked line. We don't know who's going to be healthy on their second line. You know, who's it going to be Dubois or Ehlers or Stastny or Copper? Um, on, their, on their third line, they have uh, Yannick Perot, uh, Adam Lowry, and Mason Appleton. And then they have a checking line of Vaisalainen, Thompson, and Lewis, uh, which was also very effective. And, they, and then they're kind of other fourth-line guys. We've got a lot of forwards. Harkins, Dano, Marco Dano, and a, and a guy they just called up from the AHL, I understand, Toninato, who they were pretty mm -hmm. excited about because he was providing some life in their roster. Very good group of forwards there. Very good. If they're all healthy, yeah. I mean, if they're all healthy... And Matthew Perot is on the fourth line. And if yeah. Matthew Perot is on the fourth line, I mean, he'd be one of the best fourth liners in the, in the league. Uh, when, you know, he's their 10th forward. And uh, with the capacity of filling, filling in higher up the lineup, which he's had to do as all these other guys have been hurt. But if they're ever all healthy, they can hurt you on all four lines. I agree. Health is a huge factor. I think Bruce has nailed that one. I think the other thing is, you know, the old saying, fellas, um, if your best players are the best players, then you'll win. Uh, and I think on paper and by eye this season, Edmonton's best two players have been better than Winnipeg's best two players. And I think if that continues through this series, Edmonton wins. Uh, it's, and, I, and I think you can say that about practically any other team in the league. When your best players are the best players on any given night, uh, the percentages are on your side. And so I think that's a fairly major factor. Still got to play the games. They, they still got to perform. But based on, on the numbers and what we've seen, I think we can have some confidence that they, they have the ability to win that battle against a Winnipeg forward group, which admittedly is very skilled. They're just mm -hmm. not the number one and number two scorers in the league. Kurt, I, I agree with that. I just, my only concern is the games I watched this year, it seems like the team with the best goalie wins most of them. 
So who's going to be the best goalie? And that's the question. Mm -hmm. I, I, I have no idea. I have no idea what Mike Smith we're going to see. I just, you know, some people expect him to fall off the, the turnip truck and into the ditch right now and, and, and revert back to the form we saw last year. I mean, I'm a believer now. I, he just played fantastic this year. He had, he had the single best season a goalie his age in the NHL has ever had in league history. Remarkable season. Best winning percentage. And, um, but Hellebuck's a hell of a goalie. We just don't know that. I don't have the, like, I don't have this, like, you know how when you're going against a team and you think, oh God, that goalie, he's just so good. Like, we'll never mm -hmm. score. I don't have that feeling right now about Hellebuck because I haven't seen that. Yeah. It's kind of hard. I, yeah. I, I don't, yeah, yet, Bruce, you're right. Well, and you know why I, I, I do give Hellebuck, you know, the slight edge there, as I mentioned off the top, but it's, I say it's close because Mike Smith has better defenders in front of him. Uh, the Oilers are a better defensive team. They have a better blue line. And so, you know, Mike Smith can be less than perfect and still win with the guys that are in front of him. Uh, I don't think Connor Hellebuck has, has that same luxury. Uh, I don't think he can afford to make mistakes because I think the blue line in front of him is going to uh, seep more chances through to his crease. And I think that's the difference because I, I, I'm with you. The goaltending thing, I think, is a bit of a toss-up, Winnipeg the edge. I think it's the blue line that's going to make the biggest difference there. And I think Mike Smith makes Edmonton's blue line better when he's yeah. in there. His ability to field and distribute the puck and get his defensemen out of positions where they're chasing and getting rammed into the glass from behind because he's already got the puck and he's come he's got two options and they peel off to the two corners and there's one four checker and he's he's confident enough and calm enough and patient enough to to let that guy commit one way and he'll go the other way and he's he's been uh, not quite perfect he's had a couple of giveaways but last year he had several goals against on bad plays with the puck and that that's largely gone out of his game. Uh, on the downside about Mike Smith, uh, this will chill your blood. Uh, all season long, he had, uh, in the first 30 games, he only had nine games below 900. So 70% of his games over 900. Never once did he have two consecutive games below 900 until, wait for it, his last two games of the season. 880 against Vancouver, 897 against Montreal. Won both games, 4-3. But uh, he uh, he had a, a couple of sort of questionable goals go through, especially in that Montreal game. So we're 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 all hoping that that's not the beginning of a dive that we've seen from him at various times in his career, including a memorable one last year in Edmonton. That's just a very small dip, and he'll come out on top of his game. Is what we're all hoping. He is a streaky goalie. <laughs> He you know, has he, that reputation. He does. Well, it, it's, the, it's the case. What I, what I like about the Oilers is they, they have three players in McDavid, Dreisaitl, and Nurse who are, I, I just think they are desperate to win. Three players are absolutely Already. desperate to win. But more than that, they now know what to do to win. It's, it's, they've lost enough, and they've been responsible in, in different ways for some of those losses themselves. They've now lost enough to know in this moment where they're desperate to win, to know what desperate measures to take to win. So for that reason, I, that's the biggest reason I'd be, I'll pick the Oilers uh, to win this series. And I, 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 Kurt, you say six games. I, I think probably most people would say six games between maybe seven games. Some people would go to. I'll say six. 
<coughs> Bruce? In the all-time history of predictions of playoff series, six is by far the most popular number across <laughs> all predictors. It comes up over and over again. Favorites and six. Favorites and six. Favorites and six. Well, why don't we? Why don't we? And this is uh, Bruce can probably chime in here. How about how about the history of these two franchises? Because over over the old Smythe Division rivalries that we've seen over the years, Edmonton has the edge there too. I believe they've outscored them. Oh, big time! One hundred and fourteen to seventy three over those series over the years. So it's. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I I know that and this have nothing to do with one another. But from a historical uh, matchup, these two old WHA clubs, there's. There's a lot of fun history for us for us old timers to compare with these two going head to head as well. Well, bearing in mind that that team is actually the Arizona Coyotes and this Winnipeg Jets team is actually the Atlanta Thrashers, but I'm personally prepared to put that all aside. They're the Me Winnipeg too. Jets. They're <laughs> yeah. still the Winnipeg Jets. And I go back all the way to the WHA. Uh, <clears throat> I remember attending a WHA game where Winnipeg beat the Oilers for fun, 11 to one, with Anders Hedberg scoring four times. And I also remember a more painful time when Winnipeg beat the Oilers in the finals of the last Avco Cup, four games to two, mm -hmm. 1979. But once I got into the NHL, everything flipped in Edmonton's favor, and they beat the Jets six times. All six times the Oilers went to the Stanley Cup final. The last five of them, they won the Stanley Cup by going through. Winnipeg, so it's that's a good, good team to have first up on the plate as a team with that uh, city with that past history of the road to the Stanley Cup goes to Winnipeg. Okay, here we are again. And that's, we can go uh, further back, right? Because these were the final mm -hmm. two combatants for the Avco Cup as well. Right, nineteen. Yeah, Jets won that one though, uh, Kurt. Yeah, but. Uh, uh, later on, later on, the Oilers got Willie Lindstrom off that team. He won a couple cups here, and later after that, they got Kent Nilsson off that team. He won a cup here, and uh, more importantly than that, Glenn Sather got ideas about how to play offensive hockey, how to do the crisscrossing, how to how to use the European style within the uh, North American pro system, the the hotline, especially of Hedberg, Ulf Nilsson, and Bobby Hull. Uh, were an inspiration to Glenn Sather. He said they opened his eyes to a new way hockey could be played, and it was uh, uh, a lesson he took to heart that really worked out well for the Oilers of the 1980s, who <clears throat> who played some of that signature. Remember all the crisscrossing they did? They they come in over the blue line two on two, and they both cut into the middle, and one guy would drop the puck to the other guy and take out one of the defenders, and the other guy, you know, typically Messi and Anderson were outstanding at that, but there was, you know, that was a uh, uh, just a style of play that really sprung out of the WHA, where the Winnipeg Jets were, in fact, the standard bearers. So I have a, kind of a warm place in my heart for Winnipeg, but maybe it's because the Oilers always beat them. <laughs> I was just thinking that. I was just thinking that. That's why we love that team so much because we've never really suffered at their hands as fans. Well, other than that one Alco Cup, that did. Yeah, hurt. but you know what, Bruce? They deserved that. Yeah. They were just so much better than the Oilers. That that line, the and I think that's another. That's mm. that's another reason though that we love that. That I don't I can't remember if Hedbury and, and Nielsen were on that team at that time. Not seventy nine. No, they, they, they went to New York in seventy eight. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But but watch it. How could you hate that line? I mean, it was just they oh. were such clean. And Bobby Hull just he must have had the time of his life playing with uh, Ulf Nielsen and Anders Hedbury because they were just such skilled hockey players, so fast, good with the puck, sharing the puck, and I'm hoping that's what we see from the Dynamite line. 
that kind of tic-tac-toe, sharing the puck, moving the puck around hockey, because that's what we saw last year. So uh, fingers crossed about that. The series, the Jets-Oilers series that I remember by far, though, the most is, is the, you know, the, the 1990 one where mm-hmm. the, the Oilers, I think they were down 3-1, to one, if I'm not mistaken, and they came back and won that. And it was, it was because of a couple things. Bill Ranford finally got his game together as a goalie, and, you know, he had played poorly in the first couple of games, but there was a tactical shift that uh, the Oilers coach John Muckler made early in that series where he mm-hmm. put together the kid line, Jelena, right. Graves, and Joe Murphy. Mm-hmm. And, and it just became this, they didn't score a lot, but they came, became the ultimate uh, zone Momentum possession. Changes. They just had the puck in the other team's end the whole game long. And then mm-hmm. you'd have out uh, Mark Lamb with Curry and Tikkanen and uh, Messier, I think it was Simpson and Anderson, and uh, McTavish with, I uh, can't recall the... Puckberger and Klima. There you go. Four really good lines. So, so this, this Oilers team, you know, they got the superstar just like they had in Messier back in the day. Mm-hmm. And it, but I think Tippett, it, one of the other keys is going to be which coach conjures up the best lines. Who comes up with the winning combinations under pressure? And Tippett, so far, last year in the playoffs, <laughs> was a massive freaking disappointment in that regard, I'm going to say. Yep. Absolutely, uh, I, I think he got it wrong. And, but he has gotten it right a number of times. He has put together lines that have worked at different times, including this, this uh, Yamamoto, Dreisaitl, McDavid line this year, which maybe is not the, the hardest thing to put together. But with the Dynamite line last year and with other combinations, mm-hmm. other checking combinations, defense pairings, he, he is an outstanding coach, and he's going he's gonna to be called upon, I think, at some point in this series to make a really key move or two. And as will his counterpart in, in Winnipeg. We'll see who gets it right and who gets it wrong. You know, coaching could really be a critical part of this playoff series. And I'd argue Dave Tippett's been the better head coach this year, not just tactically, but also in how he's handled his players. And I think that you can draw a direct line to when Winnipeg started to struggle this season when Paul Maurice uh, did what he did with Mark Shifley. I think that was a miscalculation. I don't think you show up your best player. I don't think Shifley's been as good since. I don't think the Jets have been as good since. Dave Tippett is smart enough to not do that. And I think that the Oilers are going into the series on a high. And while the Jets won a couple games at the end of the season, you know, it was the end of the season, you know, and um, I just don't think everything's right in that dressing room. And that could be a factor as well. What happened? Just refresh everyone's memory, Kurt, for those who don't remember what happened with Shifley. For, uh, for how long? Yeah, in a Go big ahead. game. I mean, can can you imagine uh, the the hell that would be paid if Dave Tippett in a big game would bench Connor McDavid, his best player? Well, he wouldn't do it, right? Uh, I thought I think it's a card that Paul Maurice thought he needed to play, but I think it was a bad miscalculation. I think Shifley has not been as good since. I don't think mm-hmm. that can be argued, and I think he's paying for it now. And then, you know, once you've torn those bricks down, it's kind of hard to put that building back together again. And there's been some people have said, you know what, this year is maybe the first sign that Paul Maurice has worn out his welcome in Winnipeg after a very long, admirable, and successful run. Um, but that's that's a factor I'd keep my eye on. 
I heard some long knives coming out in the national media in the direction of Paul Maurice that uh, made it sound like they, they, someone somewhere was greasing the skids for his departure. Certainly that was a flashpoint when, I mean, Shifley, he did have, he had an absolutely terrible shift. I watched it, they were playing Toronto and it was a big game. And Shifley had about four or five mistakes, the last one of which was a terrible slow line change on a four-on-four that exposed the defense to a two-on-one, which Toronto quickly converted into a goal. It was like, David, you and I would have had just, we we would have sliced and diced it too. But uh, Maurice, (laughs) he did the Dallas Aikens thing and he sat the guy on the bench for, for, it was like early in the second period and he, he sat there for the whole rest of the period while Toronto sort of seized control of the game, and he put him back out there in the third, but the the damage was done. And it was, a, like Kurt said, he played a card, but maybe it was a card he would have been better just to hang on to. A card too far. <laughs> he was tripping it old school, eh? Because, I mean, when, when you talk about, you know, who benches their star players, well, of course, in the old days, they all, Gretzky got benched, Messier got, like, Once. they all did, right? But it's not how the, it rolls these days, is it? That's not... That's not what happens so much anymore. I See guess. how it worked for John Tortorella this year. Yeah. So what I did hear from listening to a couple podcasts in the Jets is that um, Connor, Kyle Connor, Shifley, and Wheeler were getting close to playing their A game again, close to but not quite there. Mm-hmm. And that the message got through to them: they have to play defense. So the these particular podcasters, at least, I can't remember who it was. I was listening to a couple different ones. We're we're kind of maybe siding with the coach that there were some major defensive issues <coughs> that had to be cleared up. On the other hand, there's there's always with star players. You know, half the time I'm railing about Drysaddle and McDavid defensive mistakes on this podcast, and and you know there are there are those issues come up with star players. But I didn't see Tippett mm-hmm. ever give them anything but more ice time and free reign to keep and this is where i really approve of the coach and the approach free reign to just keep attacking like crazy Mm -hmm. and i think he's working with them he's working with them slowly patiently to improve their defensive play get get better as defensive players and and they both have they 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 are getting better and to the point where i think they both really know what to do now they're quite well schooled in defense and i really saw this particularly with mcdavid this year i thought he took a marked step up in his defensive play he he was covering the defensive slot much better than he than he did a year ago and um i think that mcdavid and dressel are ready to, to bring their a game on defense as well and when that happens that's going to be that's going to be fantastic to, to behold yeah one thing i took away from watching the the nine winnipeg games against the oilers this year in particular was uh kyle connor on Winnipeg, who's a terrific and dangerous attacking player, but I see him as a weak defensive player. He was he was getting, uh, you know, making making poor decisions and chasing the wrong guy and watching the puck. He was doing the Sam Gagne puck watching thing, like just too too often that it would lose his man, and his man would wind up putting the puck in the net or help to do so. And so they've got. You know, as good as those guys are, and you have to respect their strengths. I mean, Kyle Connor is going to probably burn the Oilers with some goals in this series, but you have to take advantage of their weaknesses, and uh, hopefully, you come out ahead in the long run. And that's one player I think they can, uh, uh, or they have certainly during the season, taken advantage of his uh, uh, of his so-so defensive play. Alrighty, any final thoughts, gentlemen? Anything you'd like to? I'm just looking at the comments here. Any final thoughts? I saw someone check in from New Zealand just oh, now. Oh, nice. Bruce. 
Yeah, uh, nice. that was that was cool. I can't find the uh, reference right now, but uh, welcome to our fans in, or the uh, fans of the Oilers in uh, in New Zealand and uh, around the world. It's always cool, Brazil. I think. Uh, yeah. Final thoughts. Well, go Oilers is mine as a <laughs> fan blogger, and I was a fan for a long time before I was a blogger. That uh, it's. Uh, this is a time of year that uh, you know that, that hockey really gets exciting and and fun and tense and and you know a series is like a, a, a it's like a seven part novel you know where each one is tells its own story and yet it's par only part of the bigger story each each game is is contributing to the longer term narrative as well as having its own result and there's nothing quite like a best of seven series in hockey nothing like it really yeah well said i kind of have a personal connection with the winnipeg franchise i saw my very first in-person nhl game in oh. winnipeg 1984. Mm -hmm. uh it was winnipeg playing the detroit red wings which had jim levins on defense that ah. night and and brad park behind the bench and it was in the old winnipeg arena with the with big beautiful portrait of of the queen in one end of the rink and so i, I i've had that memory uh burned into my brain for many years and whenever we play the jets i always think of that that game this little kid from saskatchewan finally found his way into an nhl arena and i thought i had the world by the tail so it's uh was it's, that a family outing where all the levens went down to watch uh jim play yeah we all went down and all all uh all met nice. uh, underneath the stands after the fact yeah. and i remember when when brad park walked by i, I remember thinking to myself Oh my God, that's Brad Park. <laughs> I've been watching you in Hockey Night in Canada for 15 years, right? So yeah, it was it was pretty special. I'll never forget it. So my that's first nice. NHL game was also featured the Detroit Red Wings at Edmonton on October 13th, 1979. When when we got in the league, I was a season ticket holder, and that was game number one. Fittingly against Detroit Red Wings, that had a long storied connection with the city of Edmonton and the Edmonton Flyers. So it was a really good choice for the for the first game and, and uh, 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 a very memorable occasion. 3-3 three, three tie. How did your game work out, Kurt? Uh, uh, Detroit lost. I believe the score was 5-2 if memory serves me right. right. I, don't, I don't remember my first NHL. I just remember my first Oil Kings game. It was uh, Darcy Rhoda and the Oil Kings against Ron Ooh. Chipperfield and the Brandon Wheat Kings. Uh, I don't, uh, oh. And then I went to WHA games after that including seeing the Winnipeg Jets play the Seattle Mariners in San Diego. Uh, oh. But I don't know if that was my first program I ever saw or not. Anyway, Ron Chipperfield uh, was some kind of junior hockey player, man. Oh, he was, God, he was a good hockey player. Yeah. Uh, I just want to, you know, it's funny because we are, this is fan time, Bruce, and we are fans. Mm -hmm. And I think yeah. everyone, most people realize this, like we're not, I work for the Edmonton Journal. I am not a sports writer. I'm uh political columnist but I I write as a fan and and early in my career I wanted to be a sports writer for a long time and I've written mm -hmm. a lot of sports stories over the years where I've actually act worked as a reporter and acted as a reporter but in the end I'm really glad that uh, this whole internet thing came along and and allowed people like myself and you guys who are just fans mm -hmm. to have this this place where we can talk to other fans yeah. and express ourselves and not have to become like the other avenue would be, Kurt, you, you, you've been a professional journalist a long time, to get into that whole covering it. because, And you've done that, I think, Kurt. You've done that job. Yeah. 
and I'm, I'm glad I, I just, I, I think it's a really hard job, a difficult job, and a challenging job. But I, 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 the hard thing would have, for me would have been not being a fan anymore because mm -hmm. I love this team and uh, love rooting for it. Be a lot to give up. Well, for me, after all those years of not being able to be a fan, you don't ask for autographs when you're, when you're a journalist right. and you're in an NHL arena. You don't cheer for one team or another. Even when I'm you're on the host, the press host broadcast, there's no cheering in the press <laughs> box, right? So well, one, of, one of the great reliefs of being a, a, a member of the cult of hockey is I get to just be a fan again. And that's, mm -hmm. it's pure joy. It really is. All righty. Let's leave it there, guys. We will, uh, we'll, we will reunite uh, uh, some of us, all of us, through the, throughout this playoff series for the post-game podcast. And uh, thanks, Kurt, and thanks, Bruce, for uh, talking tonight. Thanks for listening, everyone. Good to see you. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast. <laughs>